0: Good afternoon and welcome to IIEA Insights, usually a fortnightly podcast, but given the announcement of a new British Prime Minister, we felt an extraordinary episode was necessary. So, a particular thanks at short notice to our speakers, Katie Bowles, Deputy Political Editor at The Spectator, Catherine Butler, Associate Europe Editor at The Guardian, and Professor Matt Goodwin of the University of Kent. I'd like to take the opportunity at the outset to emphasise that this podcast was recorded before news of the tragic death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth was announced. I started off the discussion by asking Matt about his thoughts on the Conservative Parliamentary Party, how it's evolving, and what it all means for Prime Minister Truss.
1: Well, uh, Liz Truss comes in as our 56th Prime Minister, uh, our third female Prime Minister, uh, our fourth consecutive uh, Conservative Prime Minister, a very different uh, Prime Minister, I think, from Boris Johnson. Uh, uh, She was supported by uh, only around a third of the parliamentary party, so she is not really in as strong a position as Boris Johnson was initially coming into the Conservative Party. She's also, I think it's fair to say, more on the economic libertarian wing of the party than Boris Johnson ever was and certainly than uh, than either um, Theresa may or david cameron ever were um and that's reflected in her cabinet she's decided to fill her cabinet i think with a number of key uh, loyalists uh trussites if you will uh, which again i think is a logical move for her it reflects her weakness within the parliamentary party and also it reflects just the scale of the challenge that she is going to face over the next six months she and her team will know that with the energy crisis, the cost of living crisis and the Conservative Party averaging only 31% in the polls, which is rock bottom for the Conservative Party. You can't really go lower than 30%, which is your kind of core vote uh, block. Um, That This is going to be um, a formidable, uh, daunting uh, first year in, in power. There is a general election scheduled for 18 months to two years from now. Um, and the trust team will be acutely aware that the uh, potential context of that is going to be one of the most serious economic crises that, that this country has faced in a very long time, and the historic record on prime ministers and, and crises is not a good one, especially crises that involve a weakening um, pound uh, or a sterling crisis, which is not off the table this, this winter, At 1967, 1976, uh, 1991 uh, were all uh, followed uh, by uh, the incumbent prime ministers losing uh, the following general election, which Liz Truss and her team will know. So we see, we've seen on the one hand, a new, different brand of conservatism again. The party has sort of morphed after Brexit. It's sort of reinvented itself now to be a more economically libertarian party. But on the other hand, I think we can already see the signs of weakness, the signs of vulnerability within the trust camp. That in many respects are exacerbated by the people that are voting for the party today, Um, and we must remember that many of the people, particularly in the Labor Red Wall, who voted for the Conservative Party less than three years ago, were not voting for a Davos on Thames economically liberal vision of the country. They were quite comfortable actually with using the state, even taxation, to try and make the economy fairer, to try and get a good national health service and good public services, and that is another tension that lies at the very heart of the trust project so the final thing i'll say is that um you know looking ahead the next year or two um it's not completely inconceivable that that we may we may also see potentially not just um another general election and and the current poll suggesting that election would deliver a conservative defeat but i'm not also completely opposed to the possibility of us seeing even another conservative leader, leader, um, another conservative leader before that next general election given the vulnerabilities that I've discussed.
0: Okay and in terms of that faction uh, that sort of free market faction that she's part of, how strong is that in the, in the parliamentary party? Um, does it, and does it go are there other free marketeers that don't support her but are in the free market camp?
1: It's a significant faction in the party. We know that most conservative MPs do hold very economically liberal pro-free market attitudes. We've had surveys of MPs by the ESRC, among other research organizations, that have shown that quite clearly, um, but it's notable that you know more than 100 MPs were openly backing um you know, other candidates, Rishi Sunak, uh, Penny Morden, candidates that really were not advocating this sort of low tax, small state, um, sort of classic late Thatcherite uh, model of the economy. And we all know Liz Truss is making a huge gamble here that, you know, reducing tax, uh, overturning the Mm. national insurance rise, um, trying to whittle down the state, Uh, is going to revive growth and allow the country to get control of inflation and move into the next election, being able to say things are turning around. We know a lot of mainstream economists are very sceptical of that view. We know that many mainstream economists would argue the big risk here is fueling inflation. And there's no real sense yet as to what the trust plan is for the broader economic challenges facing the UK. What is the strategy for growth beyond um, uh, tax cuts and incorporation tax cuts uh, what is the strategy for reviving productivity what is the strategy for leveling up uh, which is going to become even harder to deliver in a context of high inflation um, and what is the strategy going forward for this amorphous uh, so far ill-defined concept of global britain what is the new position for the country in the world um these are all huge questions each of them um but it, it seems to me that that the jury's out as to where trust is going to go on those questions. Uh, we've already seen her commit to a £100 billion energy plan uh, today um, in, in early, mid, mid, mid-September. mid uh, That in itself is going to clash with her free market instincts uh, and that in itself is going to inject another contradiction into the heart of the Conservative Party uh, and will already be generating considerable anxiety among some Conservative MPs who will argue that this is a social democratic response uh, to a problem that should be left to the market. Um, So I I think she is going to face some internal challenges very quickly and they're going to be very serious. Um, Catherine mentioned the global global Britain
0: there clearly wrecks a huge part of Shifting of of UK foreign policy, but many other things are happening. The war in Ukraine, Britain was seen to be uh, strong on on, and moved early in terms of supporting the the, supporting Ukraine. Thoughts generally on this new administration and and where you see foreign policy going?
2: Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's it's very common to talk about the first 100 days of a politician or a new administration, and but in the case of Liz Truss, I think her first 100 hours will be critical because of what's happening in the energy uh, markets and because of Ukraine and Putin's weaponization of energy. Um, and such is the urgent and overwhelming nature of what's in Liz Truss's tray. I think if she fit, she's been promising, uh, we've all heard her the last few days, constantly re- repeating the word uh, deliver, she'll deliver, 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 but she really has to deliver because there's so much at stake um, and as um, Matt um, talked about the uh, economic um, picture in the UK I mean everything is connected now you know um, what what she, the, the energy crisis and the, the economic plan she has outlined just today uh, a couple of hours ago um, it's all connected to the global picture and the geopolitical pictures so you can't really disaggregate them. But, you know, in her in her victory speech, she talked about um, pro- she promised that she would um, help Britain ride out the storm. And she outlined three priorities, the economy, the energy crisis and the NHS, which is a sort of a shorthand for public services general. generally. And ultimately, they all come down to the question of money and where you find the money to pay for them. And I think Matt's outline, I agree with Matt, that this question of um her her economic doctrine is um is the, the thing that's now come into such sharp relief and it's 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 quite fascinating because it's suddenly the kind of left-right divide is is sharper on the economy um but the, but the you know the the, the disconcerting thing is that you no know, sooner was she you know up up until the weekend she was talking about Um, financing uh, this turbocharging of Britain that she she plans um, and dealing with the energy energy crisis solely out of tax cuts and removing green levies on on fuel. Um, She's had to perform a kind of screeching handbrake turn in the last 48 hours. And uh, and, we've heard this plan outlined just a while ago. So um, that doesn't inspire a huge amount of confidence, um, but it is—it um, is—and there's, there's a huge amount of a huge amount at at stake, um, and it's—it's it's, there's a very complex set of problems facing her. So as I said, she has very little time to prove that she can do it. She may crash and burn. We may—she uh, may not even survive until the next election. Um, I mean, I think. In terms of her, um, her style and her, 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 her political style, um, she is very combative and um, she has been a bit of, you know, she has shown that she's, she she can shoot from the hip a lot of the time. But equally, um, I think that, you know, there is, there is a possibility that people will warm to her in a way that, you know, Labour and others hadn't predicted and that she will... Actually, if she if she can get a grip on this energy situation and assure people that they're not going to face ruin and that they're not going to lose their their livelihoods, then, you know, she could turn it around and she could actually become quite popular Um, in terms of the global um, picture. I mean, yes, she she has um, made Ukraine her number one priority. Um, And that's understandable. She's inherited this uh, commitment from Boris Johnson Um, and the UK support is very popular in Ukraine. Zelensky uh, has been praising her already. She made, uh, uh, she has been speaking to him on the phone already. Um, She's committed to sending weapons to uh, Ukraine and um, And I think she sees this as uh, well, you know, it's it's she's been channeling her inner Margaret Thatcher as well. We've seen this in the optics, you know, the imagery she's gone for. She's been photographed in the leadership campaign and even before it, um, standing on a tank, you know, wearing a fur hat as she strode around Moscow. Um, And she's drawn some criticism and even derision for for that sort of attempt to be Margaret Thatcher. uh, but, and and it has to be said that, you know, we're not in the Thatcher era, we're in a much more complicated and dangerous era, so, you know, is it, um, it seems a bit facile and um, crass to be doing what what she's been doing, but maybe she thought that that was a useful thing to do um, for the Tory selectorate, and maybe now that she's actually in Downing Street she'll take a more serious approach. Um, but how would uh, you in, yeah. in terms of
0: her time as foreign secretary, you know, yeah. issue, really, that allowed her to build up contacts in, in, in across the, the important capitals? Um uh, you know, it was no secret here that people in the foreign policy community were anybody could trust at the outset. Yeah. Uh relations were, were not particularly good between uh with her. Um but in terms of other other, you know, the Paris, uh, Berlin. Um, Any any thoughts on how she went down as foreign secretary across the rest of the continent?
2: I mean, the um, she's she she has drawn a lot of uh, criticism and um, even mockery for her initial sort of um, stumblings in in when she went to Moscow to meet um, Sergei Lavrov. She got um, she got mixed up about. um, parts of Ukraine and, and Russia, She um, and of course that gave Lavrov plenty of mileage. Now that doesn't concern her when it comes, she's not very diplomatic. I mean, she during the campaign, the leadership campaign quite recently, she said, um, she was asked whether Emmanuel Macron was a friend or a foe, and she replied, well, the jury is out. This has been a suggestion that it was, you know, meant in a mischievous tone. But I think that sort of characterizes her slightly um, clumsy approach. So it feels kind of out of place for a leading diplomat and for the foreign secretary to behave like that. And I think that's how she's been viewed. I mean, there has been a bit of, I think, snobbery about her as well. You know, she isn't this sort of public school, um, urbane foreign office type. And she makes, she doesn't apologize for that. And I think that's another thing which may be may endear her to ordinary people if we can call them that but you know i i, I and i think now um there's been i, I mean just to to we, you mentioned um the eu and and the and the um tensions post brexit i think that's the thing that's obviously for western european leaders for eu leaders uh, the poisoning of the relationship with the uk under her watch it has to be said in the last year especially um that's the thing that's been uh the you know the idea that that the eu uk relationship is now described as hostilities i mean that is pretty stunning and um and regressive and she must take some responsibility for that
0: Um, in terms of foreign policy and uh, catherine alluded to it there whether you know, certain policies play well with the electorate. On a couple of those issues, Ukraine, for example, like it seems clearly up to now to be popular. But I think many, many people across Europe are wondering that if we go through this really bad winter of energy shortages and certainly, you know, eye-watering prices to to heat our homes, that that uh, that the support for Ukraine may dwindle. Do you, do you see any sign of that so far, or do you think uh, Britain will British public opinion will stand firmly behind um, the British position on Ukraine?
1: Well, I think the reality of public opinion today is that the the cost of living crisis has has just smashed everything else off the agenda, and it's 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 now uh, to give you one example. Yesterday, um, we're now at a point where. When voters are asked what should be the priority for the new government, uh, 77%, uh, more than three quarters say uh, the cost of living crisis. It is the overriding priority for the country. About the same share, by the way, also say they don't feel that quote-unquote enough is being done on that cost of living crisis. That may change after the news today of the energy plan, but let's see. On Ukraine, I think the jury is out. My instinct is that... People will broadly remain supportive of efforts to um, uh, help Ukrainians. If you ask people, uh, for example, uh, how they feel about uh, welcoming Ukrainian refugees, we see very high levels of support, 65%, 70% plus, like we saw very high levels of support for welcoming um, uh, Afghan uh, interpreters, and and also welcoming Hong Kongers. Uh, one of the big stories of British politics is often downplayed is some of the positive uh, trends actually around uh, public attitudes in that space. Um, Might support for the broader war efforts start to dwindle if this cost of living crisis accelerates and some of those more dire inflation projections come true in the new year where we've been told by, by some analysts that inflation could top 20%. I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I think the British people have always been pretty pragmatic and realistic about what's possible and and what isn't. And I think they will be able to see that um, any foreign policy change is not going to deal with the underlying issue, which is that we've all become much too reliant upon Russian gas and that we need to diversify our energy sources uh, and that we need to move away uh, from the status quo that we've that we've had uh, through much of the last uh, half century, um, so you know a few things that I am going to be interested to see. However, Catherine alluded to some of this. How is public opinion on net zero and things like environmental levies going to change? Uh, we've been polling some of that recently. There's pretty widespread support actually for removing uh, environmental levies from bills, even though the The financial impact is very minuscule uh, in comparison to some of the other tax changes. Are we going to see some some changes around net zero? Let's see. Um, Are we going to see some changes around renationalization? You remember the Jeremy Corbyn era. Um, We tend to forget this, but about 70% of the country at that time supported renationalization of key uh, of key industries. Uh, One of the reasons why actually Corbyn was successful was because on that economic axis, he did actually connect with a significant chunk of the country that that wanted more radical changes with how we deal with energy and water and so on. So Corbynomics actually was was actually pretty popular. Um, Will we begin to see changes like that over the next six months to a year, more radical public support for taking full ownership of the energy sector or demanding a more fundamental shift in in the energy sources, that's something which I think could be uh, significant uh, to watch. Um, And as I said earlier on, I think the big risk for the Conservative Party here is as this crisis embeds, as inflation remains stubbornly high uh, and as the energy crisis begins to bite, it, I think levelling up is actually going to be one of the first victims of this crisis. I, I just think the projects for levelling up the country are going to become more expensive. The political appetite for making it a priority is going to dwindle. And for the Conservatives going into the next election, you know, apart from we have been trying to help you with your energy bills, what will they have to say to areas like the Northern Red Wall, which are now fundamentally central to their new electorate? I think that's going to be Another interesting thing to watch uh, as we go forward. So, you know, let, let's see. Catherine, the, the Matt's point about Corbinomics actually being popular,
0: it seems that public opinion, you know, is very different now in the UK compared to, to 40 years ago. And, and that, in fact, free market economics is much less popular and more interventionism is popular. You know, Liz Truss only a few days ago was talking about she was against handouts. And now there's this gargantuan 100 billion pound uh bailout of, of, of from, from, from i can see households and businesses as well it does does that make it even more difficult for her to to come in at a time advocating uh, an economic philosophy that doesn't actually have you know such wide support and could that hasten her uh hasten her decline
2: yeah, I mean, it's, as we were saying, it's it's a huge gamble, and it does seem to be a bit of a throwback. You know, this um, reversion to trickle down economics and to, you know, going back to the Reagan Thatcher era to, um, you know, supply side economics uh, only, and people do, uh, you know, and 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 there's so many contradictions in in what she's outlined because. If she's relying purely on growth, well, that's not going to be, you know, tax tax cuts to generate the growth that would be needed, clearly isn't aren't going to be enough. People, I don't think people necessarily see it as uh, left right or Corbyn, you know, to 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 be pro Corbyn to say that they don't want to um, go bankrupt and and to have their livelihoods taken away from them. You know, I think they expect state to uh, intervene especially when you know it isn't a, the energy the energy situation isn't a, a sort of perfect market is it it's not a it's not a completely level playing field so um people understand that and i think they know that these energy companies have been um getting away with murder and that you know the the sense the sense in 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 talking about a windfall tax the the um, the, I mean, I, that just seems um like and she seems liz trust seems to have created a real hostage to fortune by ruling out any new taxes and saying that under no circumstances will she consider it a windfall tax i mean you know why not uh, or extending the the windfall tax that was already introduced. Well, she may do, um, she
0: may do a U turn on that. Catherine, could I just interrupt yes. you and, and welcome Katie? Uh, Katie, many thanks for for joining us. I'm going to start with you and ask you about you know the the, the factions within the parliamentary party now, and uh, where that sort of how strong a position. Of strength, Liz Truss is in. Matt Matt fielded that question and you know made the point that only a third of the parliamentary party supported her initially, um, and that you know that was even less than Boris Johnson. So does she start from a fundamentally weak point, and are those factions already sort of out to get her?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think just objectively, she is in a weak position than Boris Johnson and actually also Theresa May when she came in in the sense that she has she she didn't have the highest number of MPs backing her in the parliamentary rounds both Theresa May and Boris Johnson had that she did obviously later gain MPs and overtake Rishi Sunak but I think if, if MPs suddenly decide you're the one after all the polls suggest you have a 30 point lead it's not the most sincere form of support there is um and you have a situation also where you look at her mandate from the membership and her lead is you know that it's slimmer that her margin of victory than boris johnson was over jeremy hunt it's below what the membership polls were suggesting so i still think it's fairly decisive victory in the sense it wasn't you know so close but it isn't that huge i think had it been higher, you you come in with a bit more of a sense of, you know, the clear winner, if that makes sense. Um, so it just does mean she's in a trickier position. That said, I think there's a few ways of looking at it. There are going to be so many in the are now, in a way. Um, senior MPs now in the backbenchers who have had long frontline front bench careers so Michael Gove Dominic Raab you already have figures such as Theresa May and these people have lots of views they also know how to get their agenda through so there is and you also have Boris Johnson. So there is potential for lots of trouble on the backbenchers I think all the signs so far though suggest that Rishi Sunak does not want to or at least you know by does not want to at least carve out this idea that he is going to be a, a big rebel or have this rival power base. Um, I think probably more problematic for Liz Truss would be Boris Johnson in the sense that he clearly does believe his time has been cut short and even when he gives speeches congratulating Liz Truss he leaves the door slightly open you know in subtle ways to suggest that it might not all be done for him and um, so I, I think that's probably if i had to pick between the two I think Boris Johnson is probably has the potential to be more of an issue if he does stay in the Commons. That's what he said. Of course, people can change their mind when they have to register lots of income um, for their well paid speeches. Um, but, uh, but I think the other, the flip side way of looking at it, and again, she's had a very loyal cabinet. Ultimately, there's only one figure attending cabinet, Michael Ellis, who backed Rishi Sunak and stuck with him. Um, but Michael Ellis is seen as a general government loyalist is not as i don't think it's particularly picking a, a huge you know passionate rishi backer um but i also think there is a sense the flip side so all that suggests in a way oh she's not going to be able to get anything through it's going to be even worse parliamentary man- party management than under boris johnson he earned his majority she just inherits it but then there's also the sense that the tories have just gone through a very very long leadership contest that most mp's think has went on far too long. Um, they've already done a lot of bloodletting. They've had a really difficult period under Boris Johnson. And I, while I think there is a distinct lack of enthusiasm for Liz Truss amongst many of these MPs, I don't get the sense they're looking at the membership and their colleagues and thinking, we should go back and you know try and get someone else before the next election. So I think it, the most likely outcome is that she does lead the party into the next election. Things can flare up, but I, I think there is just... It's obviously easier said than done, but speaking to lots of MPs who've backed Rishi Sunakul just didn't come out for anyone. Um, I think they do just think the election is not too far away. There's lots of problems. They now just need to get on with it. The party already looked pretty self-indulgent over the summer. And, and that's really where Labour started to get that, consistent lead. Obviously, Matt will more, but, you know, that's the point where I think have not having a government that can do anything is damaging. Um, and therefore, I do think there'll be an effort to let this trust at least try and, you know, get her agenda through.
0: She's been speaking a lot about delivery. And you were writing in Catherine's paper today, I think, about, you know, she's come straight in, she's replaced the uh, policy unit with uh, an, an, an economics unit. Um, it seems to be, you know, one might get the impression that, you know, she clearly knows what she wants. How would you evaluate her capacity to manage and, and uh, multitask as, as any prime ministerial figure needs?
3: Yeah. So I think with Liz Truss, I mean, I do. I I think she just benefits consistently from low expectations. Okay. Ultimately, there is there is a caricature version of Liz Truss and which is that she is, you know, people like to say that she is dim that she's very lightweight, they point to the Instagram, and uh, suggest that she doesn't have the, you know, the intellectual capacity to be environment secretary, and this, and this does, you see it a lot. And therefore, I think that it does mean people underestimate her. That's not to say she's going to be the best Prime Minister we ever see. Um, but I think it does just mean you have a situation where Prime Minister's questions, Liz Truss makes two successful jokes, um, which is pretty standard what you'd expect a prime minister to be able to do. And everyone said, wow, that's a triumph. She's really shown Keir Starmer. And so it does mean she can wrong foot her opponents to a degree. I think the other thing to note is she up until obviously becoming prime minister is the longest serving cabinet minister of, the, of you know, this government. In a sense, Michael Gove had a timeout; she never did. So she's worked in lots of departments. Now, one criticism is how she worked in the really big departments where you have to, where you're under the most pressure. People say, oh, she's had easier departments and the hardest department of justice wasn't, was not a difficult spell for her. And, but it does mean she has lots of views on what various departments should do. And she's also served under three prime ministers. So I think she's seen number 10 under David Cameron, Theresa May, Boris Johnson very different in- incarnations of Downing Street in each of those and I think that she it does mean she has a perspective of what she would do differently from seeing how all these people have worked so you do have uh, if you had had someone like Kemi Badenock who'd never been in cabinet become prime minister I don't know if they would have known what to do with the tools at their disposal when when they when it comes to the machinery of government now they could have sought advice of course but I think with Liz Truss she has had lots of time to think about what she would do differently and I think that's why with Downing Street they very quickly have just just torn up the floor plan moved to the dismay of lots of civil servants moved them off to the cabinet office brought in this new economic new unit uh, bringing in the whip's office into Downing Street so she does have a plan it's just uh, there's a question as to if you shed lots of staff from Downing Street because you want to be more leaner that, I think, gods will say, could be a good thing. Things get lost. It's hard to exert your influence if there's so many things doing different things and you can't keep a track on it. But there's also, obviously, the flip side, which is we're heading to several crises. And are you going to start, actually feel as though you're actually quite short-staffed and you don't have the backup you need if your ministers can't step up?
0: interesting um Matt, Matt was talking about Tory support being extremely low and has just described winning the next election as, as as climbing a Mount Everest um would you think the Tory the conservative prospects are as are as poor as
3: that um yeah I mean Matt would know more than me on this I I, I think that I think it is clearly seen as a challenge I think everyone's working assumption in Westminster right now is there is, perhaps a Labour minority government at the next election I think we were working on the sense of probably some form of the other parties coming together um, but then again about what was it a year a year and a half ago lots of people were predicting 10 years of Boris Johnson so things can change quickly you, you don't know what's coming up the track I think Liz Truss is in a very tricky position and I think ultimately she's also taking an economic gamble of her plans so if that if she pulls it off and the situation and people feel their lives are improving you know then the fortune could change but i think we've seen all over the world incumbent governments are really feeling the pain from the fact that we are in a economic emergency
0: yeah absolutely um Matt, i was going as we come to the final few minutes i have to sort of move towards eu relations and and um uh issues around the northern ireland protocol which uh, keep uh, people uh very um exercised over on this side of the Irish Sea. To, to what extent do you think picking a fight with the EU over the Northern Ireland Protocol, like I'm assuming the average voter in Britain really doesn't care about the details of the Northern Ireland Protocol, but is is there any political gain for a government having a fight with the EU or is that changing? And I particularly note in, in terms of your uh, recent writings showing that re- Regret over leaving has risen quite substantially, and uh, public opinion has shifted on on uh, whether it was wise to leave the EU.
1: There's certainly a risk facing the Conservative Party uh, given the changes in the public mood around what's become their signature issue, which is Brexit. Uh, And the risk, I think, for the party is that it doubles down on a very um, a hard Brexit position. Uh, while perhaps failing to recognise that in the wider country the salience of Brexit has declined considerably. Uh, Most voters do not rate Brexit uh, as a top three issue, as a top five issue, even as a top seven issue. Um, As I said earlier, the overriding concern now is cost of living, the economy and public services. And if you notice Truss's acceptance speech or her first speech as Prime Minister outside number 10 Downing Street. She listed priorities, uh, which I think actually reflected roughly where the country is. Uh, She talked about the economy, she talked about the NHS. She didn't really talk that much about Brexit. That, to me, perhaps is an early sign that she gets the fact that the agenda in the country has changed, the mood music in the country has changed. But the electoral problem for the Conservatives is still very visible. Um, Today, the Conservatives are holding less than half of all Leave voters. Uh, That's a massive problem for a party that is now wholly dependent upon Leave voters. Uh, Boris Johnson won three quarters of them, in fact, more than three quarters of them in 2019. Uh, The Conservative Party is only holding around half of all the people that voted Conservative in 2019. Um, Trust needs to find a way to bring them back. And there may be people in the cabinet, Katie will know this more better than me, Um, But there may be people who think, well, look, a bit of a dust up with the EU on Northern Ireland, a bit of a dust up with France on the small boats crossing the English Channel might actually be what they need to try and give a nod to some of those voters that actually they need to come home. They need to come back into the Conservative tent, because, you know, I've written about this last week, that if the Conservatives don't find a way of putting the pieces back together in that coalition, a bit like Humpty Dumpty, they are going to face a nightmare scenario because there is absolutely no way that university graduates middle class professionals millennials and zoomers in the blue wall are going to vote for the conservatives at an election less than two years from now it ain't gonna happen dominic raab is going to lose his seat among many other uh, blue wall southern conservatives the backlash to the party is growing uh, and it is strong and trust to me i think risks being Sort of toxified by the Johnson legacy um, put it this way we asked voters this week give us one word um, that defines one word that 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 to you captures a conservative party the most popular and this is all voters not just labor not just remainers all voters nationally representative the most popular word was liars the second was corrupt and that this is today this is after This is this week as trust was coming in and Johnson was leaving. So, the the legacy problems of the previous administration are enormous. I was surprised she embraced Johnson so strongly in the uh, speeches that she gave this week. I personally think it would have been better for her to acknowledge some of the mistakes that were made. But this is a tension now that's at the heart of the Conservative Party. It's consciously swiveled to be pro Brexit, and that made sense in 2019, and it made sense until Brexit was delivered. But it's now somehow got to hold that 2019 coalition while keeping Labour and the sort of emerging progressive alliance and, and those voters in parts of the parts of the rest of the country uh, away from power and to do that it's got to maintain a four-point lead in the polls because it's majority it's majority or bus, right for the Conservative Party Dan you know this better than I do nobody's going to work with the Conservative Party if the, if we do have a hung parliament not even the DUP I bet. So therefore, it's majority or bust, and that means at least a four-point lead in the polls. And at the moment, they're averaging a ten-point deficit. Katie,
0: I, I hope to squeeze a question in on on Kirsty and the Labour Party on whether they can take advantage of this. But Catherine, what, what's your sense about the trust uh, government taking a position on the Northern Ireland Protocol? Is it going to be uh, is it going to be confrontational? And, and do you see evaluating both, you know, the, the Brussels and Irish side? Do you see the square being circled? You know, it's a very binary choice here. Do you you see a resolution that that both sides, if not the DUP and the unionism can get on board with, but do do you see a resolution to it?
2: Um, It's volatile because, um, you know, a couple of days ago, I think the feeling was that um, trust um, was uh, not, you know, probably in the mood for compromise and settlement. Her appointment of Chris Heaton-Harris and um, uh, Steve Baker to the Northern Ireland jobs um, made people think that, uh, you know, hang on, does she she actually want a deal? It's difficult to read because possibly she appointed these hardliners, both both of them are arch-Brexiters, and... It doesn't seem obvious that you would appoint people like that if you want a settlement, but it could be the Nixon to China principle that, you know, you 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 make that you send the the sort of hardliners in to, to do the deal. Um, I think, you know, putting aside those appointments, I think that probably her team are telling her, look, the last thing you want is a trade war with the EU this autumn, you know, the 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 energy crisis and the economic crisis is existential now for the country and for for the tories so why would she pick a fight now she she really doesn't need that um the, it would be expensive it would, it would be disruptive and it would spook the markets again you know i mean that the pound isn't doing well and um the, the recession is blooming so She, you know, I mean, one of the strange things about Brexit and the damage Brexit has done to to um, business and to um, to ordinary uh, people trying to do trade out of Britain with with the continent is that you know it's it's just not talked about in the UK as the reason for some of these problems, and I wonder if that will change. Um, But to your question, I I think there is that there could be an opening and I think possibly the crisis, the energy crisis, the energy shock um, leaves some gap there because of, you know, nobody wanting the hassle of a trade war. I think as uh, Bertie O'Harn was quoted this morning saying that it's not rocket science, you know, he and Blair have been uh, reportedly involved in helping out on the sidelines. Um, so, and I think from the people I've been talking to in the EU and around the EU, um, the, you know, it's quite clear that there there are the 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 lines for a for a for a settlement are there. You know, they've 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 offered some constructive solutions, although it has to be within the framework of the protocol, rather than allowing the situation where. Um, trust can can uh, rip up the protocol if she doesn't want if she doesn't bits of it if she doesn't like them so um, I think there there is a mood for a reset uh, on the EU side I think there's 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 no appetite for a trade war on the trust side Um, but there's huge wariness there's been you know there's zero trust very little trust in trust uh, because of her role in in as the architect of this this Northern Ireland Protocol Bill, um, and she's been you know disingenuous. She started out being very sort of conciliatory and inviting Markus Sevcovic, the European Commissioner, into talks, and then she suddenly you know reversed that, and he he felt I think he's people felt felt pretty let down by it. So you know can they find the can, can they can they get beyond that? But that's the question, can, can the trust be restored? I think it can if she wants it. And I think the circumstances at the moment, the, the lack of bandwidth for anything but the energy crisis and um, for keeping the lights on this autumn mean that possibly she will want to compromise. But the, the big um, caveat with that is that any compromise she does, she'll want to be able to sell it as a victory because she is, of course, still in hot to the ERG, the uh, hardliners on Brexit.
0: Katie, do you think there'll be a confrontation?
3: I mean, I I think she clearly has a hawkish position on this. She has a robust position. And I think to Catherine's point, she doesn't have that much space domestically to to move too much in, in terms of compromise. Liz Trust made the final two by winning to support the right of the party in terms of the parliamentary party that includes members of the European Research Group. You don't need to look far in her cabinet. Sue Ella Braveman, Jacob Rees-Mogg. I think the fact that Steve Baker has now been appointed in a junior ministerial role tells you how I, I'm, not, I'm not sure there is. I think Liz Trust would like to talk and find a solution, but in terms of how much room for manoeuvre she has, I don't think there's... I, she does need to show to her supporters there is action on this, and I think her perspective is that she tried to play nice in the, these negotiations, with the visit um, that Catherine mentioned and so forth. It didn't lead to much, and she now thinks that the only way you're actually going to trigger a response is by being quite forceful. Um, is, and I, I think that's to, probably to understand her thinking. I think that's where she is. Thanks for that,
0: and for our final question: How do you evaluate the performance of the Labour Party, Keir Starmer's leadership? And whether he's likely to be the next prime minister,
3: I think the working assumption in Westminster is Keir Starmer's the most likely person to be the next prime minister. But of course, things can change quickly. He's in. You just look at the polls. I think he's more comfortable in his role. He's in a stronger position. But at the same time, you don't get the sense, speaking to pollsters, Matt, when I, when I do again on this, that there is huge enthusiasm or or, the, or a great personal connection with Keir Starmer with the public. Um, so it if Kisdan becomes Prime Minister, it basically rests on the Tories failing to get their act together, I think.
1: I'd like to
0: thank all of our panellists for taking the time at such short notice to join us for this episode. It's been a real pleasure. Obviously, the context has changed significantly since the passing of Queen Elizabeth and our recording of this episode. Many are indeed already discussing how the handover of the throne to King Charles and the huge outpouring of grief that has followed the Queen's death will alter the context of British politics. But that is a conversation for another day. Until then, we at the IIEA wish to express our condolences to our nearest neighbours on the loss of their long-serving Queen.